All right. Amen, amen. Okay, good evening, everyone, or um, whatever time it is at your place. Um, we're continuing our study today. Please, you would bear with me. There is no slide for today's study. I um, probably pre prepared that and sent to us during the week, but I couldn't get the slides um, ready before today's Bible study. So please bear with me. Um, we're continuing our study, and we have been talking on the armor of God. Uh, from last month, right? Um, middle of last month till, till now. We've been talking about the armor of God and trying to go through them one after the other to see what the practical application is in our lives. And I'm setting this is a scripture that we've read, you know, for a while, I guess. Probably as a child, it was one of the verses you, you were taught to memorize, which is fantastic. But then want to see what does it mean? Like when Paul says um, the breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth or the helmet of salvation like really what does it mean for us um especially also because we're not in a we're not in a time uh, and generation where you know we actively use this armor um for warfare you know military technology has it has advanced so much so if it were now probably paul would have referred to um take on the gun of something something maybe the gun of the spirit and the bullet of the word of God, you know, or something like that. He might just say, take on the missile of praying in tongues or something like that, you know. But then Paul wrote this during his time. And um, I'm sure he was, he took the context of what they could see at that point in time, right? And he used it to explain spiritual things. So we want to pretty much just decode that and let it filter into our lives practically, all right? And please, I really encourage us that if you haven't listened to, if you missed any of these previous sessions or you, you just want to listen to it again, please encourage us to do so. Um, we have that on our podcast, um, on our podcast channel, right? So you should be, you should have fun and, you know, binge, listen, on, listen to it. By the way, Faith, please help drop the link for our podcast channel in the, in the comment section, both for Mixlr and for Zoom. Thank you. All right, so our anchor scripture throughout this series has been Ephesians chapter 6. I am going to take my time. I, I would attempt to be um, to pace myself slowly today so that we can get it. Because today's, today's study is a bit um, technical. So Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 6. And by the way, I'm really happy for everyone that's joining us. I'm excited to see us um like even though i'm not seeing you people physically and i think one of these is we should all just join zoom and turn on our cameras um to see ourselves all right Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 we'll read from verse 10 to verse 18 i'm reading from king james version finally my brethren be strong <clears throat> in the lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god and from the first um first um episode of this series right we talked about the fact that it is the whole armor of god we are putting and not just a part of it and that's you see that paul repeated that um some verses later so he says put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and again we explained that the word wiles there means the strategies the methods the schemings of the devil and we also explained in our initial study that this suggests to us that the greatest attack 
the enemy will have on a believer's life, it would not be militant in nature, meaning it will not be a forceful or a power attack, but rather it will be deceptive in nature. That the greatest attack the enemy launches against the believer is the attack of deception. It's hinged upon his strategy, all right? And this is there's a whole explanation to that that could even filter into the believer's authority because you see that when a believer understands his, his or her authority, it becomes difficult for the enemy to trample upon him, right? And what the enemy has to do or relies on is to deceive the believer into relinquishing his or her authority and thereby open, giving, a, um, giving access and a, a leeway for the enemy. But anyways, we explained that in the first um, you know, series, first episode of this series. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, wherefore, take unto you. So because of the fact that we are in a battle situation perpetually, right? And this was something, again, that I explained at the, at, at the beginning, that the fact your finances finances is increasing doesn't mean you are not in a battle situation. The fact that um, you got a promotion at your job or things are going on fine in your business or your family is doing great, it doesn't mean you are no longer in a battle situation. We are always in contention, right? And we, we can't, like they say, it's, you know, we can't lose God, basically. All right, so verse 13 says, because of all of these, take unto you the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, having your, loin, your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So it says, take the belt of truth, you know, um, buckle the belt of truth, have your loins guarded or fitted with the belt of truth. And then he goes on to say, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, okay, let me just run through the remaining verses, but verse 14 is our emphasis. Verse 15 says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, finally, praying always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Hallelujah. Now, our emphasis is verse, verse 14, the last part that says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. While I was just reading this, something caught my attention is the fact that the Bible says you, it says having on the breastplate of righteousness, meaning it is possible to possess the breastplate of righteousness, but not have it on you. Meaning that um, just the same way I can have, um, I can have a wonderful shirt, let's say my wife bought me, but I am not putting on that shirt or I have a wonderful shoe I got for a, a birthday gift, but I'm not putting on the shoe. So owning it is not enough. You need to put it on. And I think this is a very excellent way to start our study today um, because it is possible, like I said, to possess the breastplate of righteousness, but not put it on. And if you go to a battlefield, just holding the breastplate of righteousness in your hand, it does you no good. It is not a protective, um, it doesn't protect you at that point in time because it is not put on. 
But when you put on the breastplate, then it serves its function of protecting you. And remember that in this um, context, we are in a battlefield, right? And it says we should put on, we should have on us the breastplate of righteousness. So if, where, we're, where we're starting from today is the fact that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness, all right? We, it's not enough to possess it. And uh, so I explain for that out. Um, as we go further, right, I'll explain to you what, what this, what I mean by this. But just having the breastplate of righteousness is not enough. It wouldn't do you any good. Um, you know, it's akin to a military soldier, right, who has who has been given the bulletproof, but he's not wearing it. Maybe he's just holding his hand and telling the enemy, "Don't you see I have a bulletproof?" The enemy will blow his blow him off, right, because the bulletproof is not on him. It's not serving the function that it is meant to serve because the soldier hasn't put it on. So the first thing I want to say is that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And same thing too with every other aspect of the armor. It is not enough to possess it. It's not enough to have ownership of it. We need to go for that to put it on. Um, so what does this breastplate of righteousness actually mean? Now, let me take us back to verse 11 where we read um, some minutes ago, it says we should put on the whole armor of God. So that tells us that the armor it is, is not ours. It is the armor of God that we have been given to put on, meaning that there's no part of the armor that we fabric fabricated ourselves. There's no part of the armor that we created ourselves. So when you talk of the belt of truth, it is God's belt of truth that he gave us to, to buckle with. When we talk of the um, breastplate of righteousness, it is God's breastplate of righteousness that he has given unto us to put on. And that's the next thing I want to say, that when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, it is not our own righteousness. It is the righteousness that God has given unto us. All right? It, and this is super important. Because there, yes, there is the outward working of that righteousness, but this is not where what we're talking about now. We're talking about the righteousness that is a gift to us, that we did not do anything um, to earn. We didn't do anything to possess it. We just had to believe and receive it. God did the, all the hard work and gave unto us or imputed unto us that righteousness. So it, that is what we're referring to, what God has given to us here. So it is the armor of God, not the armor of your pastor, not the armor of, your, of yourself, not the armor of your parents or any other person, but it is the armor of God. So this is the armor that God gave unto us. So when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, we're talking about the righteousness that God has given unto us, all right? So what is really this breastplate? And I think it's very simple to, um, it's very simple to, to understand, right? Because um, a breastplate, the purpose of the breastplate in the military armor is to, is to protect the soldier, soldiers, um, soldiers' sensitive organs from, from being hurt or damaged, all right? So you know, for instance, that if a soldier gets hurt on the leg, the soldier can still survive, all right? If the soldier gets hurt on the hand, the soldier can still survive. But there are two main organs that if the soldier, or two main parts of the body that if the soldier gets hit at, the likelihood of survival is extremely low. Number one is the head, all right? And that's why we have the helmet of salvation. Number two is the heart. And that's why we have the breastplate of righteousness, all right? So primarily the breastplate protects the heart. 
primarily the breastplate protects the heart all right and this is going to form the core of our conversation um today okay so the primary function of the breastplate is to protect the heart however if you see the des designs of breastplate um it is not just the heart it protects it also protects um from the you know from the upper neck down to like the lower tummy region but the most important organ in all of that um, arrangement is the heart okay so we are going to focus on that on the heart um especially today um, for today's study, because that's the most important organ that the breastplate actually protects. So if you do your deduction, it therefore means that the breastplate of righteousness is primarily to protect our hearts. Okay? So uh, this is now where we, I know I've said we've started several times, but this is where we are actually starting from. Okay? So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I just want to read a scripture to... Um, to just point to something I mentioned earlier. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21. If you are there, um, you can read for us on Zoom. Second Corinthians five verse 21. It says, for he hath made him to be seen for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this um, talks about the fact that God, God made him to be seen for us. The him here refers to Jesus Christ. So God made Jesus Christ to be seen for us, even though Jesus Christ knew no sin, so that we in turn can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I just I inserted this scripture to explain to us the fact that the righteousness was God's work, not our own working, all right? And yes, of course, like I said, when we receive the righteousness of God, there is a responsibility for us to live out that righteousness, but it primarily starts from us receiving, all right? And that's where our focus is um, for today. Okay, now, why is it important that the heart is protected? And I think I want to start our interaction from this question. Why is it so important that Paul says we should guard our hearts, we should protect our hearts um, with the breastplate of righteousness? Why is that why is there a whole armor just dedicated to protecting our hearts? All right. And, and speaking now, not, not when I say your heart, I don't mean your the organ that pumps blood in your physical body now. I'm talking about spiritually, your heart spiritually. All right. So anyone wants to help us with um, just two answers. Why is the heart important um, for us to protect? Why is it important for us to protect our hearts? Someone is coming to the rescue. Uh, Mixelar, you can drop in your comments in the chat and we will read it. So yeah, someone helping us. Why is it important to protect our hearts? Um, Faith, I know you are very deep. So you dropped is a verse of scripture. Please explain it. I don't know. I mean, just assuming I don't know. We don't know what that scripture is saying. We don't even know if it's in the Bible. So please explain for us. Explain. <laughs> really, Victor. Okay. Um. So what came to mind is Proverbs uh, 4.3 that says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it 
flows the springs of life. So the issues of life flows from your heart. So the, when the Bible talks about guarding your heart, because that's where decisions are being reverted from, that's where your soul realm is sort of, and the thought, your thought process and everything, your decisions basically. So you're supposed to guard it, yeah. Okay, thank you. You see now it's clearer. So as to guard it because that's where um, issues of our lives flow from, all right? One more person wants to chip in something. Why do we have to guard our hearts? Okay, good evening, everybody. Good evening, Victor. I don't know if everybody can hear me. Um, yes, my network is not too great. No, All right, um, so as Faith has said, um, basically, if we are to, if you are to equate it or bring it side by side with literally what the human heart also is all about. Yeah, I understand that in this case, it's almost different, but just for um, a literal um, explanation, mm -hmm. Basically, when you take out the art from an individual, I mean, it's a human is almost lifeless. I mean, it's basically lifeless. So it's you ensuring that what, what flows from your art, like um, Faith has said, has to do with everything God. Mm. So um, because attacking the art or the devil understands that when he gets to that point or when he's able to get to that point, not hard. The victory is almost won. Mm. So it is very important for you to be able to protect your art, guard your art with thoughts, godly thoughts, um, the word of God, prayers, because um, like, like faith has said, out of the art flows, you know, the streams of life. And but basically that's just what it's about. When you awesome. attack, when you um, mm -hmm. I'm I'm sorry, I have to just say this, but when you shoot a human in the heart, that's all. Mm -hmm. So understanding that concept lets you understand much more what it is. Mm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ogolua. Um, if Olua, your hand is up, please go ahead. Okay, good evening, everyone. So let me just try. I didn't see what... Um... Ogolua and I think Faith said um, earlier. I joined late though, so I, I want to ask, I mean, this is as it relates to uh, the armor of God, right? That's the breastplate of righteousness. Yes, please, yes. Okay. Okay, so um, I, I just want to take you from this angle. Now we know art is the art is the organ of the body responsible for pumping our blood. So I know, you know, biblically speaking, God says that the life of man is in the blood. So I, I would, um, my, my interpretation would be this, that, you know, where we don't protect our hearts, the, the life of Christ cannot flow into us because, you know, we are not accepting his righteousness or either um, we are allowing the thoughts of the devil, which is somewhat linked to what um, Faith said earlier, is, you know, guarding our thoughts on our hearts. So if our heart is not properly protected, that life does not flow through us. So that's yeah. why I think... Thank you. Thank you so much for Lua. And, and I didn't think of that angle um, in terms of like the life of the, you know, animals in the blood. So thank you so much for bringing that perspective. Um, Idara on Mixelar says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and death and life is in the power of the tongue. Great. So that means eventually the heart instructs the mouth what to speak and then life or death will be the result of whatever the mouth speaks. Fantastic. I feel like you guys have 
I can just keep this section and move to the next section based on this explanation. You guys have done an amazing job in explaining and in really saving my time. So I will just briskly read um, scriptures, right, to um, support everything we've said. And I really, I'm, I'm not kidding. You guys have said what I wanted to say. Um, okay, so let's read for Proverbs 4.23 since um, Faith brought that up and actually is in my notes. So Proverbs 4.23 um, I really want to read, please, if you have another translation aside King James or New King James, I want us to see it from, if you have um, the New Living Translation or the Good News Bible, you can help us with that or any other one, actually. Just want to see it from a different um, translation. Proverbs 4.23, New Living Translation. Okay. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Wow. So it says, in fact, this verse actually gives a ranking and priority for, for several things. It says, when it comes to other things you can guard, it says, guard your heart above every other thing. The reason is because the course of your life, the direction of your life um, would proceed from your heart. A translation I read earlier today says it this way. Okay, no, it was a... It was a commentary rather on it. It says that um, the the Greek, sorry, the Hebrew word used there refers to origin or the fountain or the fountain head of something. So when it says, for out of it will proceed the issues of life, or out of it will, will come the course of your life, what it meant is that the direction of your life comes from your heart. That means the your heart is the fountain spring of your life. All right. So if you look at somebody's life and the person's life is going in whatever direction, right? You don't need to, and you want to correct that life. You don't need to go to him and start and you know start telling him, no, don't do this or do that. What you need to aim for is the person's heart. Once you can fix the person's heart or influence the person's heart, the entire course of his life will change. And this is how powerful our heart is. It's our control center. It's where the the activities of our life is. The engine room. That's what where uh, where where it is rather. The engine room of our, of our lives is our heart. And that's why when God came, he said, see, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take away your, your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Because God didn't, God didn't say, I'll give you, I'll make you to stop, I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you a new complexion or I would um, change your height or anything like that. He said, no. If I, he didn't say I was going to um, correct you from, from sinning or say, say, stop committing adultery, stop committing um, stop committing theft because he had tried that in the law and yet they couldn't keep keep up with it. So God said the ultimate solution to these people, right, is to change their hearts. Once I can change their heart, their whole life will change. And this is exactly what Proverbs 4 verse 23 is telling us that we should guard our heart with all diligence because out of it will proceed, you know, the issues of life, the course of our life, the direction of our lives. All right, amazing. What well, another scripture um, on this is Luke, chapter 6 verse 45 Luke chapter 6 verse 45 if you get there before me please feel free to read Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 okay it says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil then he goes on to say that for out of the abundance of his 
out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So it first explains that, you know, there's no, you can't fake it here, that whatever is the content of your heart will eventually be what you produce out. So if you see anybody in his most natural um, state acting, the person only can act what is in his heart, meaning everybody in the in moment of truth would always act out what is in their hearts. You know, for instance, I think it was my, it was my pastor that gave, um, I don't know if the story was real or not, but he gave a story, you know, that's when I think like group of people were in church and something happened, something dangerous, you know, came up spontaneously. And you know how people reflex to just call Jesus, you know, and then that's how one of these, the person who probably was like a leader in the church, just suddenly called Amadioha out of nowhere. And this was not, it was spontaneous. The person didn't think about it. It already shows the content of the person's heart. Okay. Um, and that's how life is. That, and that's what Jesus Christ was saying that out, whatever is in your heart, out of the good in your heart, you bring out good. Out of the um, evil in your heart, you bring out evil. Then he ends up by saying that, for out of the for of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So this is akin to what um, 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 Idara said on Zoom that the heart determines what the mouth will say, and eventually the mouth determines you know whether good or whether life or death will be the eventual experience. All right. So I'm just going through this to um, support all the points we said as to why it is important to guard our hearts. Let me give us one more reason from Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. So just one more reason and then we'll, we'll proceed from here. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10 and 11. And then we'll go skip some verses again. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10 and 11 says, um, and he called the multitude and said unto, unto them, this was Jesus Christ now, Called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. So Jesus Christ was, if you read the script, the passages before, right? He he was speaking to the to the disciples, um, to the Pharisees, you know, and disciples in their presence about um what contaminates. So according to Jewish culture, then you had to wash your hand before you eat and, you know, some of those ceremonial activities. But here Jesus Christ came, he didn't wash his hand, he just went up straight up to eat and they looked at him and like, ah, this man is going to be defiled. Don't, doesn't he know this is going to defile him? And so Jesus began to explain this to his disciples that it is not what enters into your mouth that defiles you because it will eventually come out. I mean, you use the restroom and everything will be flushed away. And so let's go to verse 15 for the explanation. Then Peter, so this is Matthew chapter 15, verse 15 now. Then Peter answered and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. So explain the parable unto us. Verse 16, and Jesus said, are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever enters into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile the man. Meaning what your mouth will speak is actually what is contained in your heart. No person speaks in their most 
honest moments, on your sincere moments, nobody speaks what is not in their heart. And this is why it's important to, you know, store the word of God in your heart, right? Because eventually that's what you speak, especially in moments of pressure or moments of challenge or difficulty. Your natural speakings, right, will be a product of what has been stored in your heart. That's why if you come amongst, like, believers, you can tell those who are mature or not, because once you hear them speak, you can tell the content of their heart. Even if they want to try to be modest, those who have stuffed their hearts with the word of God will end up saying the word of God, not necessarily a direct quote of scripture, but their convictions will be um, ex- will reveal the word of God um, through their words. All right, so verse 19 says, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. He says, these are the things that defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. So again, just to show that the importance of the, of, of the heart and why it needs to be guarded, that you what you speak eventually comes from your heart and life and death is in the power of the tongue. So if you experience life or death, it depends on what your mouth says. However, what your mouth says depends on what your heart has stored up. So eventually, what you stored up in your heart determines you know, your, the experience of your life. All right, so having established that, let's move on to the next part, which is the question I want to ask us again. So remember, we're looking at the breastplate of righteousness. And we've seen that the primary organ that the breastplate protects is your heart, okay? So I'm now applying this to us as believers. I want to ask us a question now. What are some of the things that the enemy tries to place in our hearts that we need the breastplate of righteousness to protect us from? Do you get the question? Then take it again. Seeing that we are focused on the breastplate of righteousness, right? And the primary responsibility of the breastplate is to protect the heart. So my question to us is, what are some of the things that the enemy tries to introduce into our heart that we requires the breastplate of righteousness to protect? What are some of those things? Uh, we'll take, I could take two answers quickly. And please don't feel, I mean, feel free, feel free to give your answers whether you think they're right or wrong. Just feel free to share with us. Okay, Faith in the chat says negative thoughts. All right, that is one. What else? Condemnation. Yeah, um, okay. Sorry, one second. If Elua says condemnation, amazing. Okay, someone was speaking. Please go ahead. Yes, I was about to say doubt. You know, doubt is also some things or some of the things the devil tried to introduce into your lives. And one way or another begins to creep into your heart. So doubt. Awesome. So doubt is one of them. Thank you. So we have negative thoughts. We have um, condemnation and we have doubt. Okay. Any other person, there should be a new message. Um, if Elua also says fear, Mixeller, I'm coming to you. So we have negative thoughts, condemnation, fear, um, doubt. Idara says the cares of life. Thank you. All right, one more, one more, one more, and we proceed. Guilt and shame. Fantastic. So Joy says guilt and shame. Awesome. All right, thank you. And these are very valid points, all right? And, um, and I'm happy we, we are already thinking in this direction. All right, so 
However, taking a very close look, okay, and with emphasis on the breastplate of righteousness, right, I found out that there are certain kind of specific things that the enemy tries to introduce in our lives that the breastplate of righteousness is tailored fit to defend, okay? What I, what mark my words, I say tailor, tailored fit. For instance, if you have, if someone is sick um, and goes to the doctor, let's say the person has um, a boil, right? Caused by a bacteria. The doctor gives a, gives an antibacteria, maybe ampiclox or any of those things, right? And while the person might have headache or might have another, you know, ailment or symptom for something else, but the specific purpose of, of the antibacteria is to deal with the effect of that bacteria. Anything that is not bacteria caused might not be resolved by an antibacteria, right? If it was caused by a virus, they, it would not be resolved by an antibacteria because you need something else that will still off it against bacteria. So that's what I'm saying, talking about here, that there are certain things that are tailored fit um, for the breastplate of righteousness to resolve, all right? And so from my little study, I decided to list uh, just a few of them, about four of them here. And I think we already mentioned um, all of them, or at least all of them in, the, in, our, in our feedback. Number one is guilt. Number two is shame. Number three is condemnation. Number four is accusation, all right? Or any other thing that, you know, border, borders around these um, four things. So guilt, shame, condemnation, and accusation. And the reason is because, remember, it is the breastplate of righteousness. So what the righteous, righteousness of God specifically attends to, okay? Um, all right. And, and by the way, there could be other... Um, and I'm, I'm talking about directly now. So there could be other secondary expressions, you know, that filter into other things, but just speaking directly now. And to take us further in this, um, let me see how we, we go from here. Okay, so I mentioned shame, I mentioned guilt, I mentioned condemnation, I mentioned accusation, all right? And, and any other thing that springs up from these things. So I want to narrow, I want us to drill down a bit to see how to deal with these things. And it's so funny that, you know, last year I kept on thinking of how we would ever arrive at dealing with um, shame, dealing with condemnation, dealing with guilt. And I just never figured how it would be. But thankfully this year, you know, God directed us to this particular study. So in the next um, several minutes, I want us to look at how we deal with shame, deal with condemnation, dealing with guilt, dealing with accusations from the enemy, you know, in our hearts, and, and then see how to resolve that. So remember that these things are targeted at our hearts. And if a believer's heart is infested with shame or guilt or condemnation, it automatically weakens his ability to resist the devil. It automatically weakens his ability to, to fight, to stand his ground, like, like Ephesians tells us to, to stand our ground. It weakens that believer's resolve. And if there is anything that one of the things that ranks topmost in, in hindering believers from praying, it is guilt. That believers, it's possible for a believer to feel so guilty either for things done in the past or for things done recently that it weakens their resolve to even pray to God. And um, it, is, it, is, it is one of devil's tactics and, you know, you know, weapons, okay? 
So I want us to look at how to deal with shame, how to deal with guilt, how to deal with condemnation and all of that. So moving on, I may not be, be I may not list all of them often. So if you hear me say guilt or condemnation or shame, just know I'm referring to like all of them together. All right. Okay, great. So um, hmm, let us read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 20. And I'm not saying that this is an exhaustive study, but I really want to give us um, useful tools, right, to help us in our Christian work. You know, and 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 most some of these, like I, I learned from experience, and obviously, of course, from the Word of God, how to deal with the enemy's um, tactics of guilt, especially guilt. Like when the devil comes and tells you you want to pray, you that you know shouted at your colleague at work or you that did something yesterday or or you want to pray about a specific thing and then enemy reminds you of an action you took that was that was sinful but then was also can also impede the um the answer to your prayers so a practical example is um a lady you know while she was in the world was sleeping around and committed several abortions now she has repented giving her life to christ She's now a new creature. She has gotten married, but she hasn't gotten pregnant. It is very easy for the enemy to come and bring up accusation in her heart and guilt, saying that, how can you pray for a child when you've killed children in abortion? And that weight can, can stop her from even having confidence in prayer. That's what I'm talking about, all right? Um, somebody, let's say, while was in the world, was given to pornography, and then God saved, God born again, and God is asking him to preach to people. But then when he wants to open his mouth to speak, the enemy brings condemnation in his heart and say, uh-uh, you that just last year you were looking at pornography, you think God will use you. And that condemnation can, can suppress the person's expression of, of, his, of his calling in life, all right? So we want to look at how to deal with that, with that because it is one of the tactics of the enemy even till date. The enemy brings condemnation, brings guilt, brings shame. Um, maybe someone was involved in a scandal, and then God has He has gone, to, He has prayed for prayed um, for forgiveness. He has repented. He has corrected His ways before God, and then there's, there's a, a dream in His heart He wants to launch out and pursue. But then that that shame of the scandal is still lingering over Him. So how do we deal with that in very practical terms? All right, so that's what I want us to look at in the next few minutes. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 22. All right. I'm, I'm reading King James Version. It says that having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. Then verse 22 now says, let us draw near with a true heart. I want to pause here and explain this scripture because it is possible for someone to to think that verse, nine, verse 19 to verse 21 was referring to unbelievers. But no, um, the writer of Hebrews was actually referring to believers when he says that having therefore um, boldness entered into the holies of holies, meaning he was saying that 
since we already have the boldness to get into the holies of holies by a living um, into holy, holy of holies by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a living way and also by high priest, he was saying this in past tense, meaning that he was referring to people who already have access into the holiest of holy, okay? Namely, believers, you and I, or you know, anyone that is born again. So Paul was speaking to believers in this, or sorry, the writer of Hebrews, I beg your pardon, was speaking to believers in this context. So when he says, um, since we have boldness enter the holies of holies by the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, through the veil and all of that, he now says, since we already have that, and it is only a believer that has that kind of boldness and has that kind of access. Then he says that since we have that access as believers, Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So since we have that boldness as believers, since we have access, then let us draw, let us draw near with a true heart in assurance of faith. Then he goes on to say, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So you see that it is possible for the believer to require sprinkling. And this sprinkling, um, the sprinkling here refers to a sprinkling of the blood, all right? And that's the context if you start reading from verse one of this chapter. And this sprinkling is separate from the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed initially, right? And he says, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So first I want to establish that the writer here was referring to believers Okay, he was addressing believers because he says, since we have access by the blood of Jesus, you know, into the Holy of Holies, by the new and living way created, he says, then let us come with full assurance and having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience. Okay, so it is possible for a believer to, for a believer's heart to require the sprinkling of blood. And I'm going to explain what that means, separate from the um, initial work of salvation, where the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, saved us and washed us from our sins and all of that. Then secondly, he says, and our bodies washed with pure water. So take note of two important things. Number one is our hearts sprinkled with blood. Number two is our bodies washed with pure water. All right. Um, please take note of that because these two things are very, very, um, very, very instrumental to what we're talking about next. So our hearts sprinkled with blood. Secondly, our bodies wash with pure water. However, um, um, you know, King James Version says our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So that can be a bit um, confusing, all right? So if you have the Amplified Bible, please read that verse for us in the Amplified Version. I'm trying to open it from my end here. That's Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Amplified Bible. All right, let me read. So Hebrews 10, um, 22, right? Um, I'm reading Amplified Classic. Okay, so it says, let us all come forward and draw near with, with true, honest, and sincere hearts in unqualified assurance and absolute conviction engendered by faith by, by that leaning of the entire human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his word, wisdom, and goodness. All right, so the next part is my emphasis. Having our hearts sprinkled and purified from a guilty 
in brackets, evil conscience, and our bodies cleansed with pure water. So when the writer talks about an evil conscience, what he means there is a guilty conscience, all right? And this explains why it is possible for a believer to require the sprinkling of blood on his heart. Because when a believer, you know, commits sin or falls into a temp temptation or does something that his conscience um, pricks him about, or him or her about, um, it's possible for you to have guilt. So first of all, if you are healthy, if your work with God is healthy, if you commit a sin or you commit an error or you, you know, make a mistake, maybe not, not sin in the, in the way we typically understand sin to be, but you go against the, the nudging of the Holy Spirit in your heart and against the direction of the life of God in your spirit, your conscience will naturally flag it up to say, hey, you've just done something wrong. This is not, this is not you. This is wrong. Okay. Like I remember um, last week I called, a friend of mine called me and then she asked of some other guy. And the way I responded, initially I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say anything wrong with it. But later on, ah, my conscience really pricked me about the way I responded because it almost felt like I was talking down on, on that um, particular person, all right? And um, my heart, my conscience pricked me about it, okay? So that, if, that guilty conscience can be an experience that the believer would have, all right? Um, so I know on Zoom, you can't see me just, but just, you know, pardon me and let's just focus on uh, my voice, I guess. All right, so that evil conscience is something that a believer can sustain in his heart, okay? So the Bible is saying that the blood that that there are two things that are coming very handy: the sprinkling of the blood and then the washing with pure water. Okay, so let us start from the very first one: the sprinkling of blood. Um, let me read what I have in my notes here: that the sprinkling of the heart, sorry, the sprinkling of the heart sets the conscience free from, from guilt or shame, sets the conscience free from the guilt or shame of the sin committed, so that the weight of the act committed is no longer borne by the believer, but is now transferred to Jesus's account. Let me read that again, and we'll read a scripture. That the sprinkling of the heart sets the conscience free from the guilt or shame of the sin committed, so that the weight of the act committed is no longer borne by the believer, but now transferred to Jesus's account. Let us read Hebrews chapter 19. So the same Hebrews just go a chapter before, and then let's read how Paul, um, I keep saying Paul, how the writer of Hebrews explains this, all right? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. It says, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and high soap and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying this is the blood of the testament which god has enjoined enjoined unto you verse 21 moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of ministry and almost all things are by law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. I'm just going to emphasize on verse 21 and 22. It says, Moses now, referring to Moses, Moses sprinkled everything, both the tabernacle and the vessels of ministry. He sprinkled it with, the, with blood. And while I read this again today, 
what dropped in my heart is some uh, what drew my attention again was the fact that he sprinkled the vessels of ministry with the blood and it, what the holy spirit ministered to me is that then your number one vessel of ministry is your heart and so when guilt comes up or when shame comes up or condemnation or accusation or any of those things what you are required to do is to sprinkle it with blood because if your heart has guilt and condemnation you will not be able to carry out ministry in any form without with that weight upon your heart all right and that's why Moses had to sprinkle the vessels of ministry. And remember, the number one vessel of ministry you have is your heart. It's not your voice to sing. It's not your voice to preach. It's not your, your hand to write. The first ministry or the first vessel of ministry you have is your heart. So you have to sprinkle your heart with the blood of Jesus whenever the enemy brings condemnation or guilt or accusation or any of those things to you. Verse 23 now says that with um, 22, sorry, that um, and almost all things are by law purged with blood. The word purged there means cleansed or means cleaned or sanctified, you know, or, 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 or washed as it, as it were. So when it comes to the heart, right, it is the blood that does the washing. OK, and what does this mean for us in very pra practical terms? And I need to bring this home, you know, to practically that. If a believer, for instance, um, falls into sin or commits, you know, um, committed sin or falls into temptation or committed sin, the heart is guilty because of what the believer has done, and that guilt and or condemnation can linger upon the person's heart. So, what does the believer need to do? The believer needs to sprinkle his heart with um, sprinkle his heart with the blood. And how do you do that? You sprinkle your heart with the blood by acknowledging what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for you. The fact that the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, because what guilt and condemnation does is that it tries to make you responsible for paying for your sins. Guilt puts the burden of your sins upon you. Condemnation tells you you are not worthy because of what you've done. What the believer needs to do henceforth is sprinkle the blood upon his, his or her heart. And that sprinkling means acknowledging that the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to cater for whatever sin you might have committed. Now, first of all, this is clearly not an attempt to um, encourage sin, of course. Neither, uh, neither, neither is it an attempt to downplay um, our conscience. However, just like First John chapter 4, I believe, says that, even when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. So it's possible for your, a believer's heart to condemn the believer, all right? It's possible for the believer's heart to condemn the believer longer than it should. And it's, it's very possible for the enemy to, to take advantage of our conscience to introduce guilt into our lives. Whatever you've done, it's possible for the enemy to take that, amplify it, and keep that guilt. See, people carry guilt for years and years and years in their life unfortunately some people still die with guilt for something that god has forgiven them about and if we don't understand the enemy's tactics they will remain under the weight of something that god has already forgiven so in such cases what the believer does is or what the believer should do is to acknowledge and appropriate what the blood of jesus christ has done for him so for instance let's say i i 
commit a sin or um, I do something that, you know, it's, God doesn't approve of, I go to God first and foremost to, to um, acknowledge that what I have done is wrong, all right, and ask him for forgiveness and pretty much repent before him. The next thing I need to do for my heart. Now, so you see, my confession of my sin is primarily for my relationship with God. Okay, just and just the same way you, if you offend your friend or you offend your earthly father, you go to him and say, oh, daddy, I'm sorry, I did this and I did that. It is not, I, I, I know this way we have to be careful because some people preach that, oh, believers don't need to confess sin since the blood of Jesus Christ has already you know, catered for all of that. I'm saying that any believer that has a genuine relationship with the Holy Spirit would, would intuitively know that if you commit sin, just go and talk to the Holy Spirit about it. Lay it all out before the Holy Spirit, all right? So that's the first step. Second is now for your heart, because the, your heart still has that guilt. You now begin to say, for this example, now I now tell myself that the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven me. The blood of Jesus Christ is enough for whatever I've done. He has paid for my sins. Even before I committed this sin, the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for it. So I go on to acknowledge the work of the blood because the purpose of guilt, like I mentioned earlier, is to put the weight of what you've done upon you. Whereas Jesus Christ has already taken that weight on the cross of Calvary. Condemnation makes you responsible for what you've done. But Jesus Christ has already taken that. When you feel shame, you feel shame because you are bearing the consciousness of your wrong. But Jesus Christ has already taken care of that. And he took care of that by his blood. So you need to first of all acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done by his blood. Okay, that is the first thing. And um, I, we won't read this now, but just look at um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 to 22. And that, that captures the, um, contains the story of, Moses and um, Moses giving instructions to the Israelites on how they should, you know, kill the Passover and apply the blood on their doorposts and their window lintels. Now, this is a that that experience was prophetic and was proclaiming was a shadow of what Jesus Christ, you know, has done for us. All right, the slaying of the lamb was prophetic to the was symbolic rather of the death of Jesus Christ, and so also is the applying of the blood. So the fact that the lamb has been slain, in itself is not enough. You also need to apply the blood. And applying the blood here is applying the blood upon your heart, okay? And we do that, like I said, by acknowledging and declaring what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for you. So that takes care of your heart, and that is the sprinkling of your heart, okay? I hope that is clear enough. Um, all right, so the next thing, we, next thing Hebrews tells us to do is um, it says, let, let me just read that verse again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It says, um, our hearts, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, we've explained that, and our bodies washed with pure water. So this is the part, I, last part I just want to explain before we close. Because I said there are two things, right? This, our hearts sprinkled um, from an evil conscience, and then our bodies washed with pure water. Now, to help explain this, let us read. Um, let us read Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, and verse twenty-five to twenty-eight. If you are, um, if you are there, please read for us Ephesians chapter five, verse um, verse twenty-five to twenty-eight. 
the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 28. Anyone there can go ahead and read for us. All right, let me read it. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So Paul here gives us an, an explanation of what the washing of water means. He says um, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27 says that he might present it to be a glorious church. So the reason why he's washing it, you know, by the water of the word is so that he might present it to be a glorious church, not having spots or wrinkle or any of such, or any of such thing, but that it might, it should be holy and without blemish. Praise God. Now, uh, let me just read what I wrote in my, in my notes here. The washing of water by the word represents the application of God's word to erase sin consciousness from the believer. All right? So the, um, the washing of water, rather, by the word represents the application of God's word to erase sin consciousness from the believer. And why is this important? Because, you see, when a believer commits um, a sin, for instance, or falls into temptation, all right, we said there's guilt, there's shame, there's condemnation, and that can be dealt with by the sprinkling of the blood. But also there's another tactics the enemy can use to um, weigh the believer down, and which is the consciousness of sin. So the believer becomes afraid of sinning, and any little thing, the believer thinks in light of sin. So, and, and the danger of that is that it impedes the believer's freedom of relationship with God. When the believer is always thinking about sin, or is always thinking, oh, I don't commit sin, oh, I don't fall in temptation, oh, I'm afraid of sinning, even though it, it humanly sounds like a good thing, that, oh, this believer doesn't want to offend God, he's very conscious, but you see, spiritually, it impedes the freedom of expression or relationship with God, and that is what the washing of water by the word addresses. It erases that sin consciousness from the believer, okay? And so how does this happen or why is this important? Let us go back to where we just read because there's something I want to point out to us. Um, um, Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 26 and 27. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And the reason is that he might present it to himself a glorious church. What is a glorious church? A glorious church is a church that does not have spots or wrinkle or any of such thing. And when I was reading this again today, the Holy Spirit explained to me that there's a difference between spots and there's a difference between wrinkle. So take your clothes, for instance. If your clothes has, let's assume it's a white cloth, like very wonderful cloth um, you wanted to wear to church. If the cloth has a spot on it, that is a stain. What you do with a stain is you, you wash off the stain, you clean off the stain, okay? And that is synonymous to the sprinkling of the hearts or sprinkling of the hearts by the blood of Jesus. That is what the, the blood of Jesus Christ addresses. It addresses the spot upon our heart and cleanses it. But then that is not the only thing. It says spot or wrinkle. A wrinkle is not a stain. A wrinkle is 
is a wrinkle, you know. A wrinkle is a folding or, you know, when your cloth is squeezed. When your cloth is squeezed or is wrinkled, what you do is not to wash it. What you do is to iron it and straighten it out. That wrinkle is synonymous to the sin consciousness in the mind of a believer. That for sin consciousness, you are not washing away sin. The blood of Jesus Christ already handles that. But you, you, you wash or you clean or you straighten out that sin consciousness by the washing of water by the word. So your question now might be, what does the washing of water mean? Like very practically, you've been saying this, Victor. So what does that mean? Very in very practical terms, the washing of water, all right, which which addresses the sin consciousness, is a is an acknowledgement or a reckoning of your identity in Christ Jesus. Because when a believer commits sin, right, it's possible for him to begin to think of himself in light of the action he has committed, or begin to estimate herself in light of what just happened. So, and that is sin consciousness. So what, what the washing of water does it, is that it re reminds you or reinstates in your heart your identity in Christ Jesus. So let me give an example again. So if a believer, for instance, um, a believer, for instance, falls into temptation, um, what the believer does now, at, at this point, there's guilt, there's shame, condemnation, and all of that. What the believer should do is, one, go to God and, and obey your heart before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I have done this, I have done that, I am sorry, and repent. That fixes your relationship with God, or that um, that, that reconnects your heart back to God in fellowship. Second thing is that you, the believer should now declare what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for that believer. So for instance, the believer says, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am justified, not by my own works or my own um, righteousness, but by the, by the work of the blood of Jesus. Long before I was I was even born, Jesus Christ shed his blood for my sins. And I therefore accept that the blood of Jesus Christ has taken away the burden of my sins and um, the action I've committed. So that is the sprinkling by the blood of Jesus. That's the sprinkling of the heart by the blood of Jesus. You know, sprinkling the heart from an evil conscience or a guilty conscience. But the believer should not stop at confessing or declaring what the blood has done for him. The believer should go the step further to also declare and reckon his identity in Christ. So after declaring what the blood of Jesus Christ has done, the believer goes further to say, I also reckon that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I reckon that I am one with God. I reckon that Jesus Christ lives in me by the Holy Spirit. I reckon that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is very powerful because if you stop at only declaring what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for you, you still have, the, you've given the enemy you still have given the enemy an opportunity to, um, to, to portray on you the sin consciousness. But when you declare, when you declare the, the, your identity in Christ, you wash yourself from that sin consciousness and put upon you the consciousness of your identity in Christ Jesus. All right. I hope this was helpful. Um, I might have been very fast and might have been a lot at once. But I really hope this is helpful. Okay, so don't forget um, there's difference between the between a spot and a wrinkle. Okay, and that's where the blood of Jesus comes in, and then you are re reinstating or reminding yourself of the, your identity 
in Christ Jesus. All right, time is fast spent. Um, so I'm going to stop here. I will take um, two questions or, or contributions from any of us or like, you know, just feedback from any of us um, at this point. So any question, please. I, I somewhat feel like we still need to digest this. And I, I am aware, like I would, I would totally understand that. Um, but just here, any questions so far, or maybe something you want to chip in um, that you learned from today's study, just before we wrap up, I will take two people because we're out of time. Two people quickly. Any question, drop your question in the comment section if you're on Mixlr or, or on Zoom, if you don't, if you are not able to ask it out. But if you can, please just go ahead and ask your questions. Um, let us know. Any question, any question, anyone? Okay, this means, does this mean we all understand like everything that was shared? Since there are no, I don't see any questions yet. Okay, if there are no questions, then I would love to hear something you learned from um, to, today's Bible study. Quickly before we go, something you learned from today's Bible study. I'll just take two people again. And, and if a, quest, a question pops up, still feel free to answer it. But if not, just share something you learned quickly from today's Bible study. Or something you know, want to just share as an encouragement or an addition to what we learned. We are all quiet. That is strange. Or does that mean we're still thinking about everything? We're still digesting it. Something you learned, one person. I'm going to call someone at random. Um, let me see. Um, if you're Lua, do you want to share one thing you learned? Okay, um, so I, I was on the road actually okay. when, um, yeah, but it's fine. I can just share okay, this um, one that really struck a chord for me. And it was when you talked about, you know, how guilt transfers, you know, the, the weight of that sin on us. It sort of, you know, makes us want to take responsibility for it. Mm. And that, um, mm. Sorry, this that's what you know the righteousness of, of Christ really does for us. The fact that we know that we are the righteousness of God, mm-hmm. the fact that we know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and that the blood of Christ has cleansed us from this, you know, from this guilt and shame, both for the ones of uh, but for the sins we committed in the past and the ones we are yet to commit. Mm-hmm. So it's just, um, I think, yeah, it really did um, help me understand. Um, the uh, mechanics in this regard, how it works that, okay, so when this thing comes, when guilt, shame, condemnation comes, it's trying to put the weight of that thing on you. And we know that nobody can bear that weight. So yeah, that's one for me. And then the difference between the spots and the wrinkle, I never saw it from that light before. Mm. And the fact that you said that they both have different remedies. Well, and really when you have a spot on your clothes, you would need to wash it. 
when it's a wrinkle, all you need to do is iron it. Mm. So, yeah, I think um, I also got to understand better what um, the cleansing of the world, what it really does, the impact it has practically in our lives. So um, that's just it for me. Thank you. Thank you Thank for you. this um, Bible study. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank God. Thank you so much for that, for sharing that. Um, okay, Esosa, your hand is up. Please go ahead. Okay, yeah. So just like she said, um, spot and wrinkle, powerful. Um, but but what I wanted to say is that I, I like like what was taught today is a big reminder because we often are in an emotional yo-yo um, times like this. So when 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 the enemy attacks our heart with condemnation, we stay in that mood till it hits, if it does mm. Right, but it's clear from scriptures that we must consciously. It's funny that it's, it's when you need to obtain mercy, you should draw near mm-hmm. right, to the throne of grace. Funny enough, our emotions always tell us to draw away from God when we are in those states. Um, and like, like Adam and Eve, who after eating you know, the fruit, they immediately went, when they heard God's voice, they ran away and hid. Most times we often, um, you know, when we fail, we often treat God that way. That's the time we run. And funny enough, that's the, it's also, that's the, also the easiest time for the enemy to prey on us. You yeah. know? Um, he's a rare lion because lions actually look for those who are straying you know, from, from the folk. So when we're in guilt like that, it's actually that time we should draw near to God. We should come close to the, to the throne of grace and obtain mercy. Not run away because running away Godly sorrow, as Paul said, I mean, worldly sorrow or something like that often leads to death. And um, um, yeah, so I just want to add that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, all right. Mixella. Okay. Someone says we're really, we're digesting really. Okay. Okay. Anyways, that's it. Um, so thank you, everyone. Um, we'll just say a word of prayer and then hand over to Joy to conclude for us. Um, Please encourage us to still go back and listen to this and study it on our own until it becomes a personal revelation for us. All right, so Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for everyone that has joined us today. Thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you for the power in your word. We declare that we are better equipped to handle the um, strategies of the enemy, however he attempts to come in the name of Jesus Christ and help us to constantly remind, to remember rather that um, you love us regardless of what we go through or whatever experience we have. Thank you everlasting father for in Jesus name we have prayed, amen. All right, over to you, Joy. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for today's Bible study, Victor. We were so blessed. So please, is anyone joining us for the first time? Anyone joining us for the first time, just indicate by raising your hand on Mixler, on Zoom. Just raise your hand to indicate that you're joining us for the first time so we can properly welcome you. So if Elua is joining us for the first time, Esosa, is your hand still up or are you joining for the first time? Sorry. Okay, 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 that's fine. Welcome, Ifeolua. Welcome to BCC. And we hope to see you. We actually enjoyed and felt your presence today. Anybody on Nixela? 
So basically we have a WhatsApp group where we share information about BCC upcoming events and all that. And we also have what we call prayer clusters. Faith, please, could you share our WhatsApp um, link to WhatsApp group? If you can, please help us so she can um, join in. So we have what we call prayer clusters where we just pray throughout the week, Sunday to Saturday, any day that works for you, you can join a cluster. So each cluster has a WhatsApp group and has a particular time when they pray during the week. And we also have, um, for those on the group, we posted a follow-up. We're checking on everyone from tomorrow. So you'd expect, um, expect to get calls, messages from us, just checking up to know how we're doing so far, to just know, you know what's going on with us and encourage one another. Then finally, please, we have podcasts um, of previous Bible studies. So you can just binge throughout maybe a weekend or just go back to previous um, Bible studies that we have had and just listen. I promise you there'll be something you did not hear even if you were part of the study. So that's it. I think Faith had posted the podcast links on Mixellar and Zoom and also... Um, Yes, so she has, okay, she has also posted the WhatsApp group. So in case you're not part of our WhatsApp group, you can join in. We share all our information there and Instagram. Um, we're also on Instagram and Telegram, right? Yes, we're on Telegram. So thank you so much for joining. Have a lovely night, everyone. Good night. All right, if there's any other thing. No, no, okay. we're good, we're good. Thank you so much. All right. Good night, All everyone. Right. See you next week, same time, um, same link, same Holy Spirit, like I love to say. Good night. <laughs> good night. Hi, Victor. Good night, everyone. Bye. Good night.